0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. James chapter 5. We're just going to be looking at two verses today. Next week, we're going to be kind of doing more of a fly overview, uh, kind of how we can continue to apply the book of James to our lives. But we're just going to be this week looking at these two verses. And I don't know about you, but I love the, I've loved our study in the book of James. Like it's been very encouraging It's also been uh, very um, convicting at the same time. There's been times where I'm like, Lord, I got to clean some stuff up in my life. Uh, There's some things I got to get right. Man, I thought I was following you doing this right. But according to James, maybe I've gotten a little off base. And so it's been really healthy and good for me in this. And I know for a lot of you, it's the same thing. I've talked to a lot of you where you're like, man, I've been so convicted by this. The Lord convicted me about this. The Lord encouraged me here, you know. And so not only have I been able to have conversations where I know the Lord is working and moving in our church individually, but also corporately. There's a lot of ways that the Lord has given us opportunities to live out these truths from the book of James. And, and so I've loved it. I'm sad that it's coming to a close. If you've missed any of the messages, you can go online. I think we have 20 weeks on the book of James. So I would encourage you, you can re-listen to one, listen to one again, whatever works for you. Um, you can catch up that way, but just kind of as a way of review, uh, James, he's writing this letter to, to Jewish Christians. They're scattered. They're facing persecution, and he's writing to them, and he tells them, um, when you fall into trials or temptation, not if there's a chance, no, when you fall into these trials and temptations, and he gives us some wisdom on how to walk through those things. He talks about favoritism, that favoritism is not something that should be marked of believers, that we are to love all people just the same. And then he talks about words and he's talked about wisdom and he's talked about how maybe there's things in our lives, sins in our lives that we were just like, hey, it's okay, we're justifying it. It's okay that I make my plans. It's okay I talk like this. It's okay I spend my money like this. Maybe we got a little off base and he he comes and he talks to us about that stuff. And today we're going to see the closing words and what James has to say. And it really should come as no surprise to any of us that he doesn't leave us with this like heartfelt goodbye He doesn't just leave us with, hey, thanks for reading this letter. I hope it encourages you. I hope that you apply some of these things to your life. He doesn't want to leave us with warm fuzzies at all. He just simply ends the letter. But he gives us a challenge at the end of this letter. It's a bold challenge. And it's a call to action for us as the church. And it's not just the walls of the church, the building. It's we. We as the people make up the church. And so here's the call to action that he gives us. To rescue wandering sinners from their inevitable death. In fact, the title of today's message is Operation Restoration. A few summers ago, our family, we vacationed in Florida. We like to go to Destin, Florida every now and again, and we stayed at this Airbnb, and it was a really cool Airbnb. Um, It was kind of in this gated community area, and I, I, you know, to be honest, I think people in Florida, specifically in Destin, they might own two houses, one they live in and one they just rent out because, like, those things are always being rented out, you know? It's kind of a crazy area there, but... But we stayed in this area. They, got, they had, like, a swimming pool in there. I think they had basketball courts. I know they had bike trails because Brody and I, we would ride bikes in the neighborhood. And so as a young family, it was cool. Anywhere we wanted to go, we could walk. In fact, across the street, there was uh, this, like, supermarket. There was kind of, like, this uh, place where you get souvenirs. There was a restaurant. There was all these things across the street. So really, the only time we ever needed to get in the car was when we were going to the beach, And so it was really cool that we were able to do this as a family. But I ran up to a challenge every single day. And it was the same challenge. You want to know what that challenge is? My kids do not listen to anything that I say. (laughs) Like They do not listen to any of the words that come out of my mouth. I think they just think I like to talk to hear myself. Like, I don't like to do that. But that's it. They don't listen to anything. And maybe you can relate. Maybe I'm just a bad father. I don't know. But my kids do not listen to anything that I say. Because everywhere we walked, I had to constantly direct my kids off the wrong path and help them stay on the right path. And so every time we'd walk somewhere, I'd be like, all right, guys, remember, sidewalks are for kids, streets are for cars. Hold my hand, don't go past the stop sign, stay on the curb, you know, like, don't don't go into the street. And this happened over and over and over and over again every single day. It was getting exhausting, and of course, you know, if you have kids, you know what it's like. They like to, it's an adventure. Like they like to, it's just so cool to go out into the wide open world, you know, run wherever you want and do whatever. And so to be like, dad, can we run to the stop sign? And I'd be like, that's fine. And so they would run. I said, don't go past the stop sign. They would run past it, but they'd be holding on to the stop sign. You know, I didn't go past it. I'm still touching it, you know. they might pretend like, oh, I'm accidentally falling into the street. And so, you know, they do those kinds of things or I don't want to hold your hand because I'm too cool, you know? Like, you're seven years old. Like, calm down, all right? Like, you're not that cool, okay? But they don't want to hold your hand because they think they're too cool, you know? So I was constantly everywhere we went trying to keep my kids from going on the wrong path, the path that would cause them harm, and keeping them on the right path. And what we're going to see today here in the book of James is that when a follower of Jesus drifts or strays from the truth, We as fellow believers, fellow followers of Jesus, we have the responsibility to bring them back to walking in step with with God's good and perfect will. So if you have a Bible, pick up with me. James chapter five, starting in verse 19. Last few words he has to say to us. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's it. That's how he ends it. The end. Like, that, that's the culmination of everything he's been saying. And I think that's actually really cool. Because, yes, this book is, is a letter, is a book about our faith and action, making sure that we don't just say we believe in Jesus, but there's action to our faith. But I would also argue that this is really at the heart of what James is trying to get at here. He wants to make sure that all believers, uh, that, that they're following, that they're actually walking in the truth of who, with, with who God is. That they actually are saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but their lives also are reflecting that as well. And so what I want to do today is I want to break up this passage and, and uh, give you two thoughts and two statements. One will be a statement that will happen to some of us. And one is something that all of us should do. And here's the first one. Some of us may stray from the truth. Some of us may stray from the truth. So how do I know this? Well, James tells us in verse 19. He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. James knows that none of us are immune to straying from the truth. And this shouldn't, again, come to a surprise to us. Because as we look back on everything James has said, He's constantly trying to remind us, constantly trying to tell us, hey, make sure that you're walking in step. Make sure you're careful with what your words have said. Make sure that your words are good and appropriate. Hey, make sure that the way that you use your money, make sure the way that you're, you're walking through life, there's wisdom in that. He's constantly over and over and over again making sure we haven't bought into a false doctrine or bought into something that's wrong, but making sure that we're staying on the path. Again, some people might want to make this about a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue because once you're saved, you can't become unsaved. Uh, Once you're born again, you can't become unborn again. And the Bible constantly points to lots of verses that prove that. So it's not a salvation issue. It's just that James wants to make sure that we're not wandering from the wrong path, that we're not straying away, but that we're walking in the truth. We're walking in the path uh, 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 the right way, going in the right direction. Again, he's saying that there's some who claim to be Christians but aren't living like some, like them. He's also saying that there's some who clung to the truth, but maybe they bought into a false doctrine going the wrong way, and they're not living like one. He wants to make sure that we're staying on the right path. Again, in the context of everything James is saying here, he's like, there might be some people in your midst that really aren't Christians. Or maybe they say they're Christians, but man, they're not living like one. I mean, go back and look at what what this letter has to say. He's like, they might not be living like one. It reminds me, years ago, Jen has an older sister, or a younger sister, rather, and uh, years ago, we were in Albuquerque, which is in northern New Mexico. And she had to go to this Christian um, camp. Her, her parents were sending her to this Christian camp. So Jen was like, hey, I got to go drive my sister to this camp. And I was like, man, I lived in southern New Mexico. Like, let's just swing by the city called Las Cruces. And I was like, we can go there. Like, when I was in middle school, that's the city I grew up in. And I was like, I want to go check out this restaurant. I can show you this old, my old stomping grounds, and we'll head back up to Albuquerque. So we're going to just make this big, kind of like triangle, right? And so I get in the car. We get down there just fine, we get down to the city drop her off. And Jen goes, I heard that there's a shortcut to the city of Las Cruces. And I was like, great, let's do it. Now that was mistake one, but you know, young, naive, foolish Nate, I've been married a lot longer, you know, now 16 years, we dated for a lot longer. I kind of know Jen. That was a foolish mistake for me to just go off on a whim. But you know, so I, so I was like, okay, that's great. But mind you, this is the time when you don't have iPhones. We didn't have iPhones. You couldn't just go to Google Maps and go, okay, how do I get to Las Cruces from where we were? And gives you three different options. This was even pre MapQuest. Does anybody remember MapQuest like that? Right? Like you would go and you'd print off all the directions, you put in a three ring binder, and you just kind of flip your way to where you were going. Right? Like that's how that's how we live life. Right. Like, the struggle was real. So we didn't have any of that stuff, right? Like, we just went on a hunch. So we get on this highway, and of course, being down there, having lived down there, I'm somewhat familiar with the cities and the names of the cities down there. And I'm going, none of these are near Las Cruces. This isn't good. So we get off at the next big city that's down there. And we go to this gas station. I buy this thing called a map and I take it to the clerk there. I open it up and I said, where are we? And how do I get to Las Cruces? And so the lady back there, she was like, well, you're in this town. We're like, cause we're headed towards Texas. Like that's where we're going, the complete opposite direction. And she's like, well, you need to turn around here. And if you take this highway and then you get off at this highway, then you get there. Like we were completely lost and needed direction to get to the right path because we strayed from the path that we knew. We strayed from the highway. Again, James was wanting to make sure that none of us are straying from the truth. That we're not saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe. But we've compromised in some ways. That we've let some sins into our life. He wants to make sure that we're following the right path. Again, many of us, we know things about our faith. We know things about God. We know things about the church. We know, yes, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. We know those things. We know everything that a good Christian is supposed to know. We know the talk. We know how to walk. But the reality is, some of us here today have strayed from the truth. Even one of the great hymns of our our time goes, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Some of us have strayed from the truth. We've forgotten what it means to love God with all that we have. We've forgotten what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've forgotten what it means to forgive someone. We don't feel like we have the Holy Spirit alive within us. We've we've forgotten what it means to take the gospel into our schools, into our work, into our uh, neighborhoods. Maybe for some of us, even into our homes. We've forgotten what that means to take the gospel, the good news. We've strayed, we've wandered from the path. We need to remember that it is possible for some of us to stray from the truth. In fact, this Greek word, wanderers, James is giving us here, is a word picture of a planet that's in orbit, but it's slowly but surely drifting in the wrong direction. So when we think of wandering, James wants us to think about it this way, that it's a gradual moving away, a gradual drifting, a gradual straying from the truth. But what is the truth? Well, it can look like one of two ways. One, it looks like our beliefs or our doctrine. Maybe we bought into a false doctrine. Maybe we've believed other things that aren't actually true or in God's word. And so we've strayed that way. Or maybe two, we're practicing or doing things that are not honoring to God. Or I'll say it this way. We're not living a lifestyle that would be glorifying and honoring to God in the way that he's wanting us to live according to his word. See, with what this verse is saying is there's really two options. There's regression or There's progression. There's no such thing as a static Christian, an idle Christian, a Christian that's in neutral, or a Christian that can put it in cruise control. There's no such thing as that. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And James says that this can happen to anyone. See, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter how many decades you've been following Jesus. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you have memorized. There is a potential for anyone who follows Jesus to drift away from the truth of God. So you might be thinking, well, what does a wanderer from the truth look like? Because I, when I think back in moments of my life when I've wandered from the truth, when I've strayed from the truth, and maybe you can relate, it's not always all out rebellion, right? Again, that's not the word picture James is giving us here. It's a slow, it's a subtle drift, it's a roaming away. But what does a wanderer look like? Well, it starts with neglect. If you're going to wander from the truth, as James is describing here, it's going to start with neglect, which is taking your faith for granted. And here's what this looks like. We say things like, well, you know, I know I should read God's word today, but ah, man, I stayed up too late last night. I'll I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I know I should read God's word tonight, but you know, I got to get up early tomorrow, so I need to get my rest. Or it says, man, you know, I love awakened Church. I love the people there. I love the music. I love the teaching. Like, I love awakened Church. That's my church. But they'll have services next weekend. See, it's not opposition. It's a nonchalant perspective on faith. So if we're going to progress in wondering, I believe it starts with neglect. Neglecting God and neglecting God's family. But then it moves to callousness. And this is viewing sin as not so sinful in my life. It's when habits or appetites of the flesh either rise up or come back into your life. And you're justifying why you're wanting to sin, why you do that sin. And you'd be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, at least I'm not like that person over there or I don't do those things or I think it's okay. And and so we somehow found a way to try to justify our sin. And you begin to develop this hard-heartedness towards God, towards the voice of God. I know for me, I uh, thought about that this week, and I was like, man, I, I play guitar. That's something I've done for decades now is, is play guitar, and I'll always say I can't sing every song, but I can play every song. And so there, there's times where I, right now I haven't played the guitar in years, and so right now I'm going to admit something to you. I have soft hands, all right? Yes, your pastor has soft, delicate hands right now, all right? <laughs> That's what I'm admitting to you, because the reality is uh, this guitar, it's got seals. I could grab Kelly's guitar. I could play that hymn, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I Feel. Like, I could play that song just fine, but you better believe right now, guess what? It would hurt. My fingers might start bleeding. I'd be like, ah, this is kind of painful, and you'd be like, man, you got to go back to practice. Sure, you play guitar, you know? And I'd be like, well, you know what? Let me come back, and I'll come back next week, and I'll play the song for you. And the reality is I'll come back and I'll play the song and it won't hurt anymore. You want to know why? Because I've developed these things called calluses on the tips of my fingers. Here's the idea. When you're a follower of Jesus, when you're listening and you're walking a step with him, man, you are sensitive to things. You're sensitive to the voice of God. Man, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do these things. I don't want to walk this direction. It's hurting me. It's hurting God. I don't want to do those things. But the more that you let sin into your life, the more that you are like, that's ah, okay that I did that, or God understands that I did that, or it's okay that I sinned this way, the more we allow sin into our lives and we justify it, we become callous towards it. We become callous towards those things and the things of God. And so it starts with neglect. It moves to callousness that leads to resistance, which is ceasing to listen and grow. This is a person who takes a strong sense of arrogance, For example, let's say someone in your group, you've been in group with them and they text message you and they're like, hey, just thinking about you today, praying for you, praying that you grow in your relationship with God. Here's how this lands on a person that is resistant. Who do they think they are? Like, don't they know me? Like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't they know that I'm growing? Like, I don't know why they're texting me this. I'm growing in my relationship with God. They're resistant because they don't want to hear the truth that encourages them to learn and to grow. And all of this then leads to isolation And this is a pulling away from relationships. We don't want to be around anyone who's going to speak the truth to us. And this arrogance that we had now becomes stubbornness because we don't have a desire to hear from other people, so we isolate ourselves. And this is usually the place where um, fellowship with God and God's family is broken, And then we pull away from the relationship with God and his family. The the friendship, the fellowship, the intimacy, the nearness that we once had. Guess what? That's exactly where the enemy wants us. He wants us in isolation. Again, the Bible tells us that he can't pluck us out of God's hand. Romans 8.38 says that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, demons can't. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. But isolation is where the enemy wants us. Because there's a break in fellowship, a break in friendship with God. And that's what he wants to see happen to us. Because then we, we don't really become a threat. We're just isolated. And in the end, this leads to rebellion, which is engaging in patterns of sin. See, people who wander to this point are deliberately disobedient in the face of truth. And here's what the Bible says for people who are in an ongoing pattern of sin. They will experience the discipline of God. Hebrews even tells us that God disciplines those that he loves. So this is what James is speaking to when he's speaking to a wanderer, someone who is subtly drifting, roaming away from the truth. And it begins with neglect that moves to callousness, that leads to resistance, that goes to isolation, and then finally ultimately becomes rebellion, engaging in patterns of sin. See, James was calling Christians then to consider where they are, consider their relationship with God. And the call is still the same today. Consider your relationship with God. Many of us, we might not be living the way that we are, that we should be. We might be looking at this list thinking, man, I could see myself on this list. Maybe right now you're just in that place of neglect. You're taking your faith for granted. You're just kind of, you kind of have this nonchalant perspective of faith. Well, when it's convenient, when it works out, then I'll do these things. Maybe it's callousness. Maybe there's sin in your life and you're just hardened to it. Maybe even as I speak, you're like, you don't even know me. I don't, I don't care. You should even hear how I've justified these things. Or maybe for you, you just be honest. and You're like, man, I'm in full out rebellion. I'm not a follower of Jesus. And James's warning his caution to us is this is because we don't resemble a, a follower of Jesus. Again, none of us are immune to going off the wrong path, straying from the truth. The call to action for us is to get out our map, to get out God's word, to read it, to make sure that we get back on the right path, going in the direction, living our lives the way that he's intended us to live these lives. So we need to be careful how we live because some of us may stray from the truth. But here's the second statement. All of us must bring people to the truth. All of us must bring people to the truth. Again, Look at what James says starting in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, here's the call to action for us, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God wants his people to be a part of restoring other believers who have wandered from the truth. Now, this doesn't negate the fact that Jesus has called us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Like, we're still called to do that. Jesus still wants us to do that. But in the context of what James is saying here is he also wants us, when fellow believers are wandering or straying from the truth, he wants us to go out and seek them out and bring them back into the family of God. And I believe the ultimate desire of a Restorer is to see that brother and sister in Christ brought back into fellowship, brought back into relationship with God and God's family. To sit back and see that, that believer in Jesus that we love wandering or drifting away. To sit back and do nothing is like for me on vacation. Watching one of my kids go out into the street where I know there's danger. And me just stepping back going, well, you know what? It's their life. Let them do their own thing. Let them do them, you know. Let them live out their own truth. Do their own thing. And let them figure out their own journey. No. You would look at me and you go, what's wrong with you? You're a bad father. What's wrong with your family? There's dysfunction in there. In the same way, God's word tells us that we, as the church, we are a family. The reality is there's some people in here that you love. There's some people in here that you just like. And then there's some people you're like, I'm glad Jesus loves them because I can't right now. All right? Listen, whether they come to this church, whether they go to another church, we are all called the family of God. And we better get used to loving each other because we're gonna, eternity is a long time to not like each other, right? So we better start to learn to love each other and care for one another, just like you and your family. If you saw any one of your family going off, you would care them, for them. You would love them. You would make sure they wouldn't go the wrong direction. Same thing here. We care and we love those who are wondering or drifting from the truth. And when God and when one of us wonders, God's desire is to use his family, to restore his family, back into fellowship with him and his family. So how do we be that restorer? What does this look like? Well, what's cool is the Bible lays out for us what a restorer looks like. And what it looks like is Matthew 18. And this gives us the, the way, an example of how to carefully, compassionately, and mercifully bring back wanderers, whether they're wandering by accident, they had no clue, Or whether it was purposeful, wandering. They're drifting because they don't care what the Bible has to say. And so as we look at Matthew 18, I want us to notice a couple of things here. The process is slow, it's careful, and it's compassionate. In fact, we'll just look at these just one by one. Look at what it says, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now pause right there. Do you see the end goal? Do you see what what we're supposed to do? The goal is not to be right. The goal is not to have power. The goal is not to bring shame and humiliation. The end goal is to win back our brother and sister in Christ. We see here in James that this is a very serious situation. Because the eternity of souls, of people are at stake. Some of us might be here today and we're wandering to our destruction, to the destruction of our own soul. And the hope for all of us is that we bring them back. And so we engage. But I want you to notice how this engagement occurs. One, it happens in relationship. It's not like you're the Holy Spirit going around this place going, "Ah, I'm trying to see it out. You're like, you're the Holy Spirit trying to sniff out sin in everybody's life. You're like, I gotta confront him. I gotta get Matthew 18 here. I gotta do it. No, no. It happens in relationship. You have a relationship with that person. And then two, it happens in private. It doesn't mean that you go on social media and you blast all their sins online, you're like, "Hey, you should know what this guy's up to." Or we try to feel super spiritual, and we're like, "Well, let me just pray for this person because this is what's going on in their lives. It has a relationship, and it's in private. And so let's say you go to someone that you have a relationship with, it's in private, and you just say to him, hey man, you know, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there's some drift in your life. And you know, I love you, but I'm nervous for you because it seems like you're walking in sin and it seems like you're drifting here. And I don't know if it's inadvertent drift, like you don't realize this, or if it's purposeful, like you don't even care what God's word has to say, but I'm seeing it and I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Let's say they go, man, you know, I love that text too. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because as you were reading that text to me, I thought of another text. It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. And he's talking about this guy who has a log in his eye, but he's trying to point out the speck in the other guy's eye. And he was like, you know, just as you were talking, I just realized, hey, you're log face and I'm speck. So why don't you go into God's word, get that log out of your eye, and then we'll deal with this little speck in my eye uh, next. And so now clearly it's elevated. It's clearly gone to another direction. So, what do you do next? Well, verse 16 says, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, this second part is slow, but I want you to see what has just happened. We've gone to this person. We're lovingly saying, hey, I feel like there's some drift in your life. I love you. I want to make sure that it's right, that you're not drifting off in the wrong direction. I just want to bring this to your attention. They're like, no way. You're like, okay, so what happened here? What what do we do next? Well, one is maybe you're not seeing things well. Maybe you're missing some of the information. Maybe pride has gotten in the way. And so maybe what you're dealing with is more conflict and not a discipline issue at all. And so what does Matthew 18 tell us to do? Does it say, hey, go get a coalition, go get an alliance full of people and go pile on this person and beat them into seeing that you're right? No, that's not the end goal. End goal is not right. The end goal is to win them back. And so we're not called to get other people, but we're called to get to the bottom of actually what is going on. And then we enter again. And this time it's with those who can establish evidence. Like, is this really a sin issue, or is it something else? Is it really wandering, or is it something else? Is it conflict that requires godly mediation, or does it need discipline? So let's say two or three go with you, and you establish the evidence. Evidence is established. But at this point, the person's like, no, you know what? I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what God's Word has to say. I just want to live my life, do my own thing. It doesn't matter. I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't even care what the consequences are. I'm going to do what I want to do verse 17 says, "If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector." The reason church discipline is sober and requires so much care is because of this final stage. In this final stage, a church just removes affirmation that this person is a believer. It's not that we're saying you're not a believer in Jesus because only God can judge that, right? I mean, what do men know about the salvation of another person other than what Jesus taught us, that by your fruit we can tell who you are? But here's what happens in this final stage of discipline. A church just simply says, hey, we no longer can affirm that this person believes in Jesus, that as they're following Jesus, we can't say, hey, follow them as they follow Jesus, Because there's some things that have come out of their mouth where they don't care what the Bible has to say. They don't care that this is a sinful thing. They don't care about the consequences. They don't care about all these things. And at that moment, the church just says, hey, we don't know if they're a believer in Jesus. And the reason why this happens is because it's not to shame the person. It's to wake the person up to seeing how serious the stakes are. To letting them see what is going on in their lives. Now, I understand. We've been talking about a very intense thing. Like, this is how James ends it, right? And this is a heaviness. There's heaviness to this. But I love that this is how James ends this letter. Because again, just as much as I know that this book is about faith and works and those going together, I believe really this is at the heart of what James is getting at. He's writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus, said that they've put their faith in Jesus. They're professing faith in Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But he's like, hey, I don't know that you guys are necessarily professing or or possessing that faith in Jesus. See, James's desire is for all believers who have wandered from God to be brought back into relationship with him. If there's compromise, if there's things in their lives that shouldn't be there, his desire is like, hey, come back, repent, and come back and be restored, be forgiven, go, be on the right direction. I think he doesn't want any of us to deceive ourselves into believing that we are following, following Jesus or followers of Jesus if we've strayed or if we've wandered or if we've compromised in some way. And so it's important for us to talk about these things. I remember growing up, I, I would hear the pastor say, hey, we're going to be studying James. I'd be like, oh, man, here we go. Or in my, my uh, time with the Lord, and I would read the Bible, and the Bible reading plan would come to James. I'd be like, ah, i got to read through this quickly. Because the reality is, I don't think many of us, we like to come to James. Because the reality is, we can become so comfortable in our sin, so comfortable in what we've justified or what we've said, okay. And James just hits us square in the eyes. He gut punches us every time. And he's like, that's not the case with followers of Jesus. That's not how you should live. Be careful. Be cautious on how you live your life. And so often it's hard for us to want to read James because, man, we're comfortable with where we're at. But it's good for us to hear these things, to make these course corrections, to make sure we're going in the right direction, and the right path. And this week, even as I was reading this and dealing with all this stuff, in the midst of all this heaviness that I was reading, I saw a reward. In the middle of verse 20, here's the reward. That whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If the person straying from the truth, doing his own thing, living his own life, man, he's been confronted and now he turns from that truth. James wants you to know something. You will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, okay, hold on. I thought Jesus was the one who saves souls and covers a multitude of sins. And you would be right. Yes, he is. Jesus is the one. I never died for anybody. You never died for anybody. Jesus is the one who saves souls and covers a multitude of sins. So you might be thinking, well, then what the heck is James talking about here? What is he getting at? Well, let me illustrate it for you this way. Our family, we watched this show called Dual Survivor. It's on Discovery Channel. I don't know if anybody's ever watched that before. But we watched the show Dual Survivor, and, and these two guys are always put in some kind of like survival um, kind of like experience where they got to survive this kind of like area. Like they've been in the desert, they've been in the jungle, they've been in the snow, and so it's like, hey, here's this guy. They make up this scenario, and they're like, here's this guy. He went out in the desert, and he just wanted to take pictures of the night sky, but his car broke down, and he got lost, and so you, how would you survive? And I just always at the end of the show go, boys this is why we don't go outside. Like, this is why we go and stay at hotels. Like, this is why we go to the beach. We don't need to go to the jungles in the desert, right? There's nothing there. It's no good, right? Now, again, I can't tell you all the scenarios because I bet you can tell, again, by admitting I have soft hands, uh, I don't go outside a whole lot, all right? Like, me and the outdoors, we're not always the best of friends. So, in fact, I took an allergy test, and they're like, sir, you're allergic to everything outside. And I was like, awesome. So, um... You know, so, so anyways, me and outdoors, we don't always get along, but I like to watch the shows and I like the idea of survival, but, uh, but, but we're watching the show. And, and so they're put into these survival techniques. And so usually they're just handed an empty bottle, a battery and a piece of paper. And they're like, you got to survive and make it to safety. And that's what they're. And so we watch the show and see what happens. And so think about it like this. Imagine that you like being outdoors. You like surviving. You're like, I'm going to drive out into the desert. And I want to experience the night sky. I want to see what's out there. I want to see all the cool things. But then your car breaks down. You're walking, and you're like, oh, man, I, I think I, I got lost, and, and I'm not going the right direction. I don't know where I am. But then here I come driving in the, my air-conditioned vehicle and uh, that's got plenty of water. And I pull up, and I'm like, hey, you need a ride? And you're like, yes. And you get in the car, and I drive you to the hospital where you need food, you need medicine, you need rest, you need all water, you need all the things. And I drop you off there. And let's say you get all that food, medicine, water, rest, all the things that you need. And then you call me up once you have got your strength back in a couple days and you go, Nate, thanks so much for saving my life. Now, I didn't save your life, did I? I just simply drove you to the hospital. The hospital is the one that gave you the food, the medicine, the water, the rest that you needed. I just simply gave you a ride. In the same way, Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who makes us right with God. We take people to Jesus and by doing that, we take part in saving souls. God has a plan for all his people. A plan filled with joy, satisfaction, and hope. In John, we're even told that Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. But we also have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. God wants us to experience his plan. And so when we see someone wandering away from the truth, we confront them we bring them back, we bring them back into intimacy with God and God's family as the people of God, we should find joy and we should find reward in that reality. And so today, I want to close by just talking to three groups of people that are listening to this message right now. And the first group is this. Maybe you're here today and you're a wanderer. You're slowly but surely drifting away from the truth. And today, maybe God is speaking to you. Like you, maybe right now you're here and, and maybe you found yourself on that list. You're in a place of neglect. Maybe even you're, you just kind of got this nonchalant kind of way of looking at your faith. Ah, I'll get to it when I can. Maybe it's callousness or maybe you're honest today and you're like, man, it is full out rebellion. And maybe it's been for a long time now. If that's you, if you're here today and you're like, I'm a wanderer, here's my invitation for you today. Be restored. Repent of your sins. Repent of those sins before God and come back into his loving arms and experience fellowship and intimacy and joy, again, that's found in a relationship with him and his family. And you might be sitting here today and you might be like, well, you don't even know me, pastor. You don't even know the things that I've done, the things I've said, the the way I'm living right now. Let me remind you of Romans 8.38. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. You're not too far gone. But repent of your sins. Then there's another group. Maybe you're called to be a restorer. Even as I've talked, maybe right now, God has just laid somebody on your heart. And you know that you need to approach them. You know they're wandering from the truth. And you have a relationship with them. And you know God has just put them on your heart. Here's my invitation to you start with prayer, don't start with a conversation. It doesn't start with a conversation needs to start in prayer. Before you ever get to Matthew 18, it starts with prayer. You need to go before God and say, God, am I wondering? Am I drifting from the truth? God, search me and know me. See if there's anything in me that's not pleasing or acceptable. It's coming before the Lord and saying, God, would you know me? And would, is this wondering? Is this drifting? Is this just confrontation? What is going on here? It's you presenting yourself before the Lord and saying, God, I need to make sure I'm right first well before I have a conversation with anyone else. Because as a restorer, one of the greatest things that you can pray for, for another follower of Jesus, is that they know the heart of God through the word of God. And then here's the third group of people. You're here today and you would say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna remind you of what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm a way, a truth, He'd say, if you serve enough, you give enough, you go to church enough, you do enough good things, you read the Bible enough. No, he said, he is the way, the truth, and life. Jesus lived the life we could not live. He died for the penalty of sin. He never committed sin. We committed those sins, but yet he took on those sins, and he died for us. And he went to a borrowed tomb. Like, there's a lot of religious leaders, a lot of people would say that they're God, and you can go to their gravesite, and they're still there. Jesus is the only one who's not there anymore. And it's because Jesus isn't there that God was satisfied with his sacrifice for sin. And because of that, we can have abundant eternal life that we can experience today by simply placing our faith and trust in him. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, just like we do every Sunday. I know last Sunday we had people right up here in front. Guess what? It happens every single Sunday. We have our our pastors, our leaders right up here. We would love to pray with you, walk through anything with you, pray over you, pray for your week, whatever it looks like for you. We're up here looking to pray for you. So that's not just last Sunday, that's every Sunday. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, guess what? There are people up here today who would love to lead you in that relationship. I know it's like, well, let me just leave. No, come and talk to someone. We would love to walk with you, talk with you of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. So regardless of where you find yourself today, maybe you're here today and you need to be a restorer. Maybe you're here today and you're a wanderer. Maybe you just need to have a relationship with Jesus. The call to action is still the same. And it all begins with prayer. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.